God, what I had so many things I wanted to talk to you about based on our text conversations, and now I've completely forgotten all of them because of traffic and madness. Mm. Well, I'm sure they'll come up. Don't worry. Maybe it's been it's been uh, actually before we go any further. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Yeah, I don't think that'll be difficult this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after an hour in traffic. Um, yeah. Plus, after taking a week off. We took off for, if you guys, you guys didn't notice that we took last week off, it was Thanksgiving. So what's the point of recording when we're busy stuffing our faces? We're going to take off the last two weeks of December. I'm going to warn you guys that now too. Also, also he hasn't warned me of that either. So I'm learning of that for the first time as well. <laughs> well, I figured uh, the holidays, everybody should be able to enjoy the holidays, including you and I, plus your birthday. Oh, true. <laughs> I never remember, man. It's not even that I even care about getting old or anything, because honestly, I literally don't. But I just never think of my birthday. I don't know why. I feel like other people remember it much more um, consistently than I do. I think that's because of the years of training of it following right after Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just too depressing to make a big deal out of it, just because usually everybody around me got more presents than I did on my own birthday, and it was kind of kind of much after a while. Mm. Oh, but also, while we're starting this, a little bit of a warning. There may be a pee break in the middle of this episode. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I had my, my three beverages prepared, my, my ginseng and uh, decaf green tea, my water, and then my magic elixir, brain elixir. And I've, I've managed to work my way through half of those already. <laughs> before we you, you've, you've got to explain to me what the brain elixir is. Um. It's kind of like a recipe that I've I've put together over time, just stealing things from other people. But um, so the base is, and this is always funny to explain, but this is just a coincidence right now. But the base is pea milk. <laughs> what? What? Okay, let me clarify. Okay, P -E please clarify. What? Not P E E, not pee pee. Peas, as in milk made from peas. Um, I'd never heard of it before. It's not a normal thing um, for me to buy. But it was really low in carbohydrate, and I figured, why not give it a shot? Plus, it lasts forever. Um, so I've been giving that a shot. I get um, when I get normally I get like almond milk, um, but when I get it, I always get the unsweetened. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter to me what it tastes like because it's a base, and I'm going to put stuff on top of it. So like the pea milk is just. I think they should rename it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the name of this episode should be pea milk. Yeah. Hi, it sounds like it, it. It sounds like a Sonic Youth single from like 1997. Oh, good call. I would listen to that. Yeah, so would I. Okay, so what I add to that is, like I said, most of the time it's almond milk. Mm -hmm. um, then I add some MCT oil, and uh, MCT oil is medium chain triglyceride. It's an essential fat. Um, but what's really cool about it is it's not processed the way normal fats are. It's almost processed similar to a carbohydrate, so you get instant energy from the fat. Well, weird. It's a really useful fat for people on um, ketosis diets that don't um, that are limiting their sugar and carbohydrate intake. Just uh, maybe a two sentence explanation of why. But when when you go on a ketosis diet and you're not ingesting carbohydrates and sugars, 
um, or at least a lot of them, your body, your brain runs off of glucose. So it doesn't have glucose because you're not getting it from those foods. So your liver starts producing what's called a ketone. And then that is actually a more efficient fuel for your brain. It's also very healthy for you. It um, helps with um, insulin resistance and all kinds of other things, in addition to longevity, apparently. Now, um, so when you have a diet like that, you have to have lots of fats because the fats are what they transfer into the ketones. So MCT is really important. Um, then I put in cacao nibs, which is what kind of what they make chocolate out of, but this is like the constituent. This is the, the raw form. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different than cacao powder. Um, a lot of people don't know this. They'll buy cacao powder because um, c- cacao is really good for you. Even in chocolate form, you know, they talk about all the neurogenev- uh, neurogenerative, uh, degenerative, no. no, neurogenerative, regenerative. There we go. See, I'm I'm a little off base because I've been just kind of like playing the ukulele for like the last hour. Um, uh, neuroregenerative effects. But anyways, when you buy the cacao powder, you're missing all the fats because it's separated in the process. So if you get the nibs and grind it yourself, you, you keep all the essential fats and all the fiber as well. It's a really rich source of fiber. Um, then on top of that, I add stevia to sweeten it because I don't like to use sugar. And then my last and my favorite ingredient is a lion's mane mushroom powder that I get from Four Sigmatic. And lion's mane mushroom is, there's all kinds of things that they claim it does, but uh, the main thing is that it's good for your brain. It apparently presents, uh, prevents uh, degenerative, uh, degenerative effects like uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, but it also increases your focus, as does actually the cacao nibs give you focus. And uh, there's a mild, uh, stimulation effect to your neurons and by the way for for all of you coffee drinkers out there um if you want a very very interesting experiment um and and the effects of coffee without as much of the caffeine um i used to grind cacao nibs into my coffee beans um and then and make coffee out of that yeah there's also um if you want to not do coffee there's also this other stuff that four sigmatic makes which is the mushroom coffee it's made from chaga mushrooms I don't, I don't really like uppers because I have anxiety, so I haven't tried it. But uh, everybody that uses it says it's incredible and it's okay. longer lasting than caffeine. Interesting. You got to send me a link to that, and/or I'll just check the show notes after. Yeah, Four Sigmatic is an amazing company. I can't remember what podcast it was recently that had the owner on. And he's like this mushroom expert. It's really cool. If I can find, uh, actually, I say when I find it, I'll put that in the show notes too. It's worth listening to. Um, yeah, so that's, I like to, I like to have some of that before we kick into these because it's usually near the end of the day. So I could use that extra brain, brain juice, even though you can tell it hasn't kicked in yet. <laughs> brain juice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we have so many, I have like all these post-its in front of me of random things that we might talk about. Hmm. You know, one thing I did want to talk about was, um, Something really weird that happened literally like five minutes ago that might not have happened if you hadn't got stuck in traffic, which is pretty cool. Um, first of all, your girlfriend, Crystal, she left a message on... Uh, are we using names or should I re-say that? No, that's fine. All right. Um, she sent me a message on uh, Facebook about uh, you telling her about our phrase, let's get weird. And she was saying that that was like her, her mantra for... 2019. 
And I just thought that was a really interesting synchronicity. So I have, I've had synchronicity on my brain the last two days because of that. And there's something that I've been wanting to research for this show. You know, after we had done like dipped a little bit into like um, Lindbergh and you, you know, you had mentioned, you're like, oh, that, that's, I can go into, you know, murder mysteries and stuff like that. The moment you said that, that I had one that has been in my brain forever, and I'm not even going to say which one it is, but because I want to do a lot of research into it, but it's it's huge. It's and it's not JFK. <laughs> yeah. It's huge just in scope, and most people have never heard of it. Um, and it involves a lot of conspiracy. And so I've been like contemplating in the back of my head, like, oh, what if I should do that or check into that? And it's a bit scary because a lot of people involved with the case are and uh, reporters who have tried to look into the case have died um, mysteriously, of course, as always. Um, so, you know, just, it was sitting in the back of my head. And then like, um, when I sent you the text and you said about 15, 20 minutes out, I said, you know, I'm just going to sit down and I'll watch a, uh, episode of unsolved mysteries. I sat down and I hit play cause you know, I always have like that show queued up in some way I hit play and literally the case that I was talking about started. No, oh, man. I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to believe in synchronicity, then that needs, that needs to mean something. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances? That's crazy. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind. <laughs> uh, speaking of, where are you watching um, Unsolved Mysteries these days? Prime. Got it. It's the only place that they have them. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I, oh man, I didn't even think to look on Prime. That's a great idea. Mm. But yeah, I, I have Prime. So Actually, I take yeah. that back. You can watch, I think, one or two seasons on Hulu. But the only place you're going to see all of them is on Prime. And they have both the original Bob Stack show. And then they have the um, two or three seasons that Dennis Farina did too. Mm, gotcha. That's where I watch it. I also have some DVDs too. So yes, I'm invested. Yeah, I'm kind of having the the opposite of synchronicity. Like I, I, I feel like I've been having a a week in which life um, is reminding me that things can get difficult, mm-hmm. and that I need to push through um, regardless of how difficult things feel. Um, I started writing my blog, for example, as you know, and I've, you know, as, as, as anyone who, who has written at some point dives back into writing again, you always have this, this, this initial starting phase where you're kind of getting the wheels going again and you're learning how to use your words again. Um, and, and you don't realize how much you take your ability to communicate for granted until you really are trying to communicate a complex idea. Um, and so, you know, with your, with your motivation, of course, and, 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 constant pushing um for me to to keep writing um i'm i'm gonna start putting out you know little bits of poetry while in the background writing something much bigger Uh, but i i feel i feel like this week has taught me a very important lesson um about has nothing to do with the writing but but it it has everything to do with the the blog post that i was working on Um, and it's the 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 first line of that blog um, which I'm weirdly proud of for some reason because it was very succinct um, for how I was feeling at the time was, um, if you fancy yourself a rebel, you probably have never known what it's like to really be one. Um, and and that's that's such an interesting idea to me. Um, so that's one of the things I kind of wanted to dive into with you on this on this episode. Totally. And just to, to clarify something too, I think one of the hardest parts about getting back into writing or even just starting it for the first time, you know, doing it publicly is shame. We all sure. we all carry this um, sort of shame that we should be quote unquote better than we are. So um, we start writing, and then we go, 
so we don't put it out or, oh, I'm going to work on this more and then we delay it. And, you know, it's like I told you in that text, you just got to have a different mission in mind. I think of actually, this is a great, um, a great explanation of it that just popped in my head. Do you remember in Star Trek The Next Generation, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned once in the new iteration of the show yet? Speaking of synchro, okay, synchronicity is back. By the way, I literally was going to talk to you about totally going to talk to you about Star Trek: The Next Generation on this episode. Uh, Write it down so you don't forget when I finish. Yep. No, don't worry. I'm not going to forget. Okay. No way. Um, Do you remember the moment when uh, Data is playing that uh, that weird chess game, the multi level chess game, with that guy who's like a genius and just beats everyone? Um, I think he plays like he the first time they play, he beats him in like ten moves or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Data ends up basically uh, winning because the guy forfeits. Um, and, you know, everybody tried to figure out what he was doing. And he said he changed his his way of approaching it. Instead of trying to beat the guy, he just tried to tie him, to match him evenly. And what he did is he frustrated the guy to death so that he walked away from the game. And I think that that's kind of like the mindset that I was like trying to get across in that text is don't try to put out something like I'm writing a masterpiece blog here. Think of it as like blogs are practice. You know, they're like, I'm going to do all my crappy writing here on the blog. And then what I learned from writing during the blog is what I'll use for a book or for something else. You know, like I said, rough drafts, just make your goal to be to learn instead of to be good at it. You know, regardless of how out of sync I am with the rest of my life, I feel like our brains are just constantly working on the same, on the same things at the same time. Um, unbeknownst to you, I haven't even mentioned this to you at all in any of our texts or communications otherwise, but I dove headlong back into chess two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> like, like to a degree that, I mean, I, I, very few people will understand the love that I've had for that game my entire life. Um, and this is weirdly appropriate for where we're going with this conversation. That's the thing about synchronicity, I think. Um, when you start recognizing it, it starts happening more. You know, like literally, like you, it's like a, a fungus or something. It spreads to other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so a lot of uh, the reason why I bring that back up is because there are a lot of good chess players. Like, I mean, it's some of the, the, the you know... Um, like Bobby Fischer is kind of the famous one, but there's a there's a lot of other um, chess you know proprietors out there, and quite a few of them. Um, you know, it's not just about winning. Sometimes it's about frustrating your opponent. It's about creating impossible positions. It's about playing for draws. You know, there there are quite a few uh, chess masters in the history of the game um, that would consistently do that, just wear their opponents out um, by playing for draw positions that were just literally impossible to win. Um, and and I feel like that that episode of, of Star Trek The Next Generation hit a special chord with me because I understand what it's like to play that kind of game. Like, you know, you, as, if you're into chess for any length of time, um, you start to try very intricate strategies. Um, and many of those strategies fall along those lines. It's not always about trying to win. If you're playing against a, 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 an opponent, for example, that you perceive to be superior um, in skill or experience or whatever it may be, um, that every every chess proprietor on the planet has some kind of weakness and for some it's it's not the game itself it's their their physicality it's their their emotions it's their you know ability to maintain a level of 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 
of of composure despite the stress and anxiety of the situation. So that's that's really really perfect for for where my life is right now. I feel like I'm I'm playing for a draw, and I feel like because of that, I won't lose right now. Yeah, Bobby Fischer was was pretty famous for uh, seeking to break people's will rather than beat yeah. them. Sometimes, absolutely, absolutely. He's he's my hero. I mean, obviously, I'm an American chess chess player, so. Um, for me, Bobby Fischer is always going to be the, the the top of the pantheon for me. Um, but you know, watching a lot of the Russian guys, like some of the more aggressive players and stuff like that, I mean, it's it's all it's all really interesting to see um, how how many of those guys played mind games as 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 much as it was um, you know the, the the pieces on the board. Um, and some of the the most fantastic chess masters were some of the female ones that played these really unexpectedly aggressive games um, that that were built almost primarily to freak out their male opponents. And to clarify too, for anybody that actually knows anything about Bobby Fischer, um, Lamb just means he's his hero as a chess player, not as a human being. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, geez, yeah. Thank <laughs> very, you for... very important thing to say because he was a severe anti-Semite. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, he kind of, he lost his mind kind of. It wasn't even, I don't even, I think it's kind of like a Roseanne situation where it's like, yeah, they're saying crazy stuff that might be racist, but um, they're also not completely there. So you can't really put them under the same microscope that you put other people under. Sure. Um, Gary Kasparov is another one that I've, I, I have a lot of respect for that guy just his whole life. Like he became, he's a huge activist in Russia, um, mm-hmm. fighting against Putin, basically, and uh, totalitarianism. He's written some incredible books. I haven't read any of them. That's just through rumor but i should now that i've said that i i think in the past couple of weeks i've watched over i've watched over a hundred games by kasparov he has a an app um chess playing app mm-hmm. i know I've, I've been playing on it <laughs> <laughs> uh, but his but his games are are and the one thing i respect a lot about kasparov is kasparov Kaspar, kasparov depending on who you yeah, talk to kasparov you're right um but the number of different styles that man could play and the adaptability he had as, as, as a player was just unbelievable. It's just mystical to watch. I mean, some of the combinations and, and long-winded tactics and strategies that he played were just... They're mind-boggling if you know the game. Um, and I imagine if you don't know the game, it, it's, it's, it's like a foreign language. I mean, the, the amount of moves he, he played ahead. Yeah, I always see like... Um, you know, like modern chess books are more... And they're written for human beings. Um, but the old chess books, you know, like the stuff that Bobby Fischer was reading and stuff like that, they've always fascinated me because I remember seeing them in stores and it's just like, it's like a map into a world that you can't even begin to grasp. Or when you see sure. those chess games in the um, in the newspapers, if they still do that. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Like solve this position or, you know, how many moves, how many moves from now will there be checkmate for white and stuff like that. I used to do those all the time. You know what also would fascinate? I think this is where my my actual appreciation for chess. By the way, I'm just going to say right now, you guys might expect that I'm good at chess. I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs> because I say you might expect it because Lamb and I are having a conversation about it and I sound knowledgeable about it. Um, I should be better. But, you know, I just don't play very often. But I think where my fascination began, and this is pretty funny, but is uh, Magnum P.I., <laughs> do you, this is I, I was f- completely fascinated by the fact that Higgins was playing a chess game with someone in another country and they would mail each other the moves. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's that was big. So you could only like move seventies and eighties and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what did like what's the mail system like that? So it probably took like two or three weeks um, to make one move, and then to hear the response. So like that, uh, it just blows my mind because I used to play. Um, I don't know if it was, was it chess with friends. I think um, was the one I used to play. And I'd play against, um, ironically, two bass players. I'd play against Farag and uh, Drew. Drew, yeah. And they would both kick the living shit out of me. Um, but I found what it was is I didn't know how to play chess like that. I didn't know how to come back into the game and remember what I was doing. Sure. It's a completely different mindset. I'm decent when when I'm playing face-to-face. Um, they probably still kick my ass because they're very good players. Um but that is like a whole different thing. Like, are you good at that? Are you good at like the remembering what you were planning when you come back? Absolutely. It's just going to, my, my, uh, my um, brother-in-law and I played a chess game that took a year. And it's funny that you mentioned Harag and, and chess because the first, I hadn't, I hadn't touched a, a, a chess board in God, maybe six or seven years, um, probably more actually. Um, and the first person I picked to play my first game back with was Harag. And uh, we played a three-hour game that ended up in a stalemate. <laughs> it was I just realized, it was I just so realized our rule of like not saying names. We just completely yep, thrown out the we're window just, this we're just gonna, Yeah, we're just going to go right into it. Screw it. No last names. These are just friends. I don't yeah. think that. I, I don't think it's confusing. I think the reason, if you guys have ever wondered why we keep saying the no names thing, um, one of the main reasons, there's a lot of little reasons, but one of the main reasons is Lamb and I are friends. And it's easy for us to talk about people that you guys have no idea who they are. So we thought if we limited ourselves to being able to say names, that it would force us to explain who people are so that you guys wouldn't be lost. But I think it's very clear in this case that we're just talking about two friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that that mindset is, I have so much respect for that. Um, I think that I want intellectually to be more patient um, but uh, I think I'm too type A in some ways. I don't. I, I don't necessarily think it's about personality type because I, I'll agree with you. For the most part, I'm actually extremely impatient um, as a person in general. Um, but when it comes to certain things, like I, I, I think it's because I understand how long it takes to do them, um, and it builds in a certain level of patience that is forced. Um, but in the long run, it, it's it's nice because it gives me two very distinct modes to go into. Like I know, for example, chess is a long journey. Um, you know, you, regardless of how good you are, there's always someone better, and that's the fascinating thing about it. Um, but I also, you know, one of my endeavors is also golf. And golf is essentially the same thing. Like, regardless of how good you think you get at it, you you can always get better. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, I used to do a lot of those magazines. Do you remember these? I think they were called. Um, I think it was just called Games Magazine. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. where it's just like um, all kinds of stuff. It's it's a magazine. I don't know if they still make it. They probably do online. Um, most magazines from the eighties have slowly been destroyed by nobody buying it um but you know it wasn't just crossword puzzles they'd have crossword puzzles um what else do they have lamb like what are those what are those things called where the letters where you have to figure out what it is but it has different letters crypto something cryptogram uh, yeah I, I think so that sounds right and then later on i remember them incorporating some sudoku as well yeah um, all kinds of stuff like stuff you'd never seen before that you'd only see once in one issue yeah all, all mind games, but I remember. I think my dad used to have a subscription to it, um, and I loved. I loved those. Um, 
but I would get impatient with certain things. And in a certain point, I'd go, okay, what's the answer? <laughs> Especially with those, with those crypt, uh, I'm assuming we're using the right name, but cryptograms. Um, I'd, I'd just sit there and stare at it for the longest time and I get part of the way through, but then I just get stuck at one point and I'm like, okay, I can either sit here for like an hour or I could just find out what that one fucking letter is. <laughs> you know, I feel like I haven't even looked at one of those since like the late 90s. I don't even remember seeing one since then. You know what's funny is um, I was thinking about, I don't know if it was specifically about this show, but it probably was sparked by something from the show because I do find most of our conversations spark something for me. <laughs> I was thinking about um, this idea of like everything we're talking about, we'll bring up things like, oh, I should try that. Like we should actually try these things that we bring up and then talk about them again, like follow up. Oh, it's a good idea. You know, like we should both go find some of those things and try them and then, you know, tell people like, okay, they are completely frustrating or they're awesome or I'm really good at it. Now I can solve the Zodiac murder case. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I'm so fascinated by that case. That's that's one of the, the, actually that's the case that probably really got me interested in true crime. Yeah, me too. Um, actually, did you, did you hear the episode of Crave Minds where I talked to that guy who um, he's, his name's Christopher Garcia. He's the computer history museum curator. No, I didn't hear that one. Listen to the, at least the first like 20 minutes of that one, because him and I talk about the Zodiac case for like 20 ah, minutes cool. for, for a awesome. half hour. And he knows a lot. Um, he's one of those people that is, I'm, I'm a fairly intelligent person, but as anybody that's listened to the show long enough knows, I can't always pull up my facts exactly on the spot. Um, I'm more of a general idea person. This dude can pull up the actual <laughs> stuff on the spot. See, now that's something I have a tremendous amount of respect for. The people who have just spot-on recall. Mm. Christopher Hitchens was like that. Like he would talk about, he's like, as he was one of those people that could say, you know, as George Orwell said in 1984, and then throw out the quote, the quote like word for word. Jeez. I, I think that had to do with, for him, that had to do with his type of schooling because British schooling when he was coming up, you are forced to um, memorize things. Oh, that makes sense. I think that's some, there's something missed um, in us not doing that anymore. Um, when I, I think it was my freshman year of college, I had a literature class and he forced us to memorize the um, prequel. I can't remember, not prequel, prelude. I can't remember the proper word, but the, the introduction to um, Canterbury Tales. Mm. And to this, and we had to memorize it in Middle English, which what it was, what it was. And to this day, I can still do it. The one that April with the shore sought is the drought of March had pierced to the root, and bathed each vine and swish liqueur that virtue engendered did the fleur. It's a little off, but it's close enough. That's twenty-something uh, years of memory. Yeah, I have. Um, I think it was oh, man. I forget her name, but I remember everything she taught me. That's kind of crappy. I think I, I think her name was Miss Larson. Um, in middle school, um, she had much of the same too as well. Um, she, she, you could tell she was not just a well-read um, person, but she genuinely had a love for literature. Um, so I remember, you know, things like the entire Mark Antony speech from Julius Caesar. Um, I remember basically half of Hamlet. Um, and a significant portion of Dante's Inferno uh, because of that teacher. Like she would have us literally go through and read them over and over and over and over again. And every time we read it, like her method was amazing. She would she would have us read it and then she would have us analyze it. And then she would 
analyze it herself and then she'd have us read it again and analyze specific parts and she would get more and more granular. So we, we would spend like a week on a particular passage. Um, and by the end of that week, you knew it inside and out and you weren't even trying to memorize it. You just had to memorize it because you understood every word of it. Did you have to memorize the sonnets too, or at least one? Uh, I did that by choice because I'm a huge nerd. Um, <laughs> They're so good and, though. Yeah. And my parents, you know, my, so, so my parents are immigrants, so they didn't understand things like, like, um, age appropriateness, for example. So, you know, I, I would see like horror movies. Like I saw the poultry guys when I was 11 Yikes. and was scarred forever. I know. Yeah. Can you imagine what that movie would do to an adolescent brain? Um, well, I do. Any well, I do. Static anymore. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I also, my dad bought me the complete works of William Shakespeare when I was like nine mm-hmm. um, from, from a garage sale. And it was this massive book. I think, he, I, I think it's still at my parents' house. So I would thumb through and I would read. So by the time I was like 12 years old, I understood iambic pentameter. Um, you know, I understood um, quite a few of the themes that were running through a lot of the, the, the Shakespearean plays and stuff like that. And I had at least three sonnets memorized by then. Um, and I had no idea that I wasn't supposed to know that yet at that age. Um, so my, my teacher, Miss Larson, it, it was kind of a shock to her uh, when, I, when you know, she pulled out Julius Caesar and she, she really loved Julius Caesar. Um, and it was also one of the ones that I really liked too. Um, and so we, we had this weird connecting point because of that. I think, I don't remember if it was the same class. It must've been a different class. We all had to pick a sonnet and it couldn't be the same as anybody else picked because you know, everybody wants to pick the, you know, the ones that everybody's heard before. So those get taken pretty quick. Um, mine was, I don't remember the number, but it is, uh, my love is as a fever longing still for that which longer nurseth the disease. Oh man, are we, are we going Shakespeare now? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> That's just the one I remember. And I remember I picked it because it was basically the most fucked up of all of them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like a little punk rocker. At least I thought I was. Oh man, yeah, it, it's that. That goes back to the, the the rebel thing I was talking about from the very beginning of the episode. Mm. Um, you know, the 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 number of things like I so wore the uniform and I had no idea what it was like to be a rebel. Um, you know, I wore, I had my 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 calf high Doc Martens, my black trench coat. You know, um, I sipped coffee and 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 walked in the rain, bullshit like that. You know, in these days, um, you know, I dress much more conventionally. I'm wearing sweatpants right now. You know what I mean? But I think that despite, I think I'm much more a rebel now than I could have ever conceived of being in the days when I totally thought I was a rebel. <laughs> well, I think that's that's common for, for that age because, you know, like we don't know who we are yet. So sure. we're, we're literally trying things on. Like, is this who I am? Is this who I am? This is who I want to be. And then you try it. You're like, nope, this is not me. Um, I think it's pretty normal. At least uh, maybe it's just normal for rebels. You know, maybe some people just uh, want to fit in. Yeah, there are people who just want to fit in. So maybe not everybody. I will say that's actually, that's probably the majority of people, to be honest. Um, you know, I think uh, we, we're a unique group in the sense that we, your friends and my friends, a good majority of which are the same people, um, were always that group of people that were rebels and always wanted a, a, a more defined sense of self. Um, but I think most people want to fit in. I think even the rebels want to fit in. They just want to fit in with something that isn't the main culture. The, you know, they want to be part of a subculture of some kind. But I don't think anyone inherently wants to be alone. You know, we're, no. as, as social creatures, I think we want to fit in somewhere. We just want to make sure that the people we fit in with are the, the right ones. 
There's a great book called The Outsider by Colin Wilson. Uh-huh. It, yep. Oh, know that book. Such an amazing book. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, I think it might come from that book. But there's the idea of the the necessity for the outsider is the outsider. So if you have all these people um as a tribe and they're all kind of they stay they stay within the quote unquote with the within the village and they think what everybody thinks and they do whatever they're doing. That's what they know. But if there isn't the outsider, if there isn't the person who leaves to go see go sees to go see what's in the woods, then you never know what's in the woods, and you never know what's over the next mountain. And what they do is, is the job of the outsider, as Wilson, it is from the book. Um, what Wilson says the job of the outsider is to step outside of the circle to learn something. But the thing is, yes, the outsider leaves the circle, but they don't want to stay outside of the circle. They want to go and find out things from outside the circle and bring them back. And that's where they see their value within the tribe as to bring things back. They are the explorers. Sure. I like how I didn't remember that when I started talking about it. And then it slowly started coming back to me in the middle of telling (laughs) you about it. You're having epiphanies while you're speaking about it. Well, that makes sense though. I mean, it's, it's, I think the value that we have, um, I, I, you know, and it, I, that's such a that's such an apt way to put it too, because I feel like I, you know, for a period of time, I, I left this group. You know, a lot of my friends forget now, now that I actually disappeared for about ten years. Um, you know, where where very few people, even my closest friends, like Carlos, who's one of my nearest and dearest friends, didn't see me for literally six years. Um, and I feel like unintentionally, I, I, I traveled the world, you know, did some really cool things, lived in a couple of weird places um, as a way to bring back a lot of the, the, the wisdom and the insight from those places um, without knowing it. And I feel like part of the reason why, you know, for some odd reason, my friends, most of, most of my friends now think of me as a calming, a calming influence in any circumstance. Like, you know, a person that brings confidence to that environment. I think a lot of that is because of my, my journeys to other places and bringing things back for people. So they feel like they're more attached to the world through me somehow. I don't know. It's, it's, it's odd to describe it that way, but it feels like that. Well, I think then also in, in doing that process, you burn off some of that energy that makes other people, um, I guess, nervous. It would be the opposite of calming. You know, like uh, when when people make us feel antsy, they make us feel uh, nervous around them or they don't have a calming effect. It's because they're they're antsy. There's something in them that's screaming out to do something. Sure. I don't know. That's just a... Oh, that's definitely true. I never thought of it that way. You know, like some of your friends who, you know, the we always think of, of living vicariously through people as being a bad thing. I don't necessarily think that's the case. You know, no. I think if you can, if you can offer people some semblance of, of expansion, um, regardless of, of whether or not they actually get the, the raw experience. Um, I think it's, it's always good to get, be able to give that. And, and if anything, it inspires people to, to do it because most of the reason, most of the time, the reason why people don't do anything, um, you know, especially the stuff that I'm describing is out of fear of some kind. Um, and I feel like, Making people feel like it's accessible because if I can do it, you can do it. Um, making it accessible makes them feel like a the experience is worthwhile because it's changed me, and they can see the change that it's that's had it, it, the the effect that it's had on me. Um, and it, I survived it. it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a, nearly as scary or difficult as as their minds want it to be. Right. Well, transactive memory is extremely important to 
the idea of a tribe or to a society, you know, like you can go and learn that and bring that back. That's, that's what you can do for them. Right. But they're doing something for you too. Right. You know, the, their ability to stay and to learn what it's like to live in ritual and habit is something that, you know, that you have a place to come back to because of them. Because if they were all doing what you were doing, nobody would have anything to return to. Oh, that's definitely true too, by the way, especially with my current friend group. You know, most of most of my friends here, I mean, they've traveled a little bit, but not nearly to the extent that I have. They're teaching me the 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 ability to live day to day, you know, understanding what it's like to have normal friends again or to to fall into a routine. Routine is not necessarily bad. I mean, routine can be bad, but as long as you understand what that routine's doing and as long as the the effects of that routine are inherently positive and forward moving, then those routines are actually very productive and positive. Well, that's one of the big problems that um, the early feminist movement had is that they all operated under the assumption that all women wanted to go out into the world and to not be homemakers. And what they had to learn over time was, oh, no, feminism means women doing what they feel that they want to do. And some women want to be homemakers. Some women don't want to work. Some women want to stay home with the kids. And part of being a liberated woman means they have the choice to choose that. And they had to learn that lesson because they assumed that everybody wanted to do what they were doing. And we all tend to do that. We tend to think there's only one type of person in the world, me. <laughs> Everybody thinks uh, that's, like that's, me. That, that's a fantastic way of putting it, actually. And you kind of see that that permeating through the the current, like every every social movement, right? Like the the neo the neo feminism movement, the the neo conservative movement, you know the the. the the new progressive movement, you know, all of them have this very extreme, this extreme version of who they think their ideal is um, without understanding that, that most, most people that even fall within their ranks don't fit those ideals. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes back to this thing that I've always believed, which any number of brilliant philosophers and economists have said, which is the country uh, this country, any country, any society is at its best when the middle class thrives. And I think the middle class is 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 about having that that choice to be parts of all of these things without being full force into any of these things um, in such a way that 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 makes you become almost a zealot. Um, I don't know what that that train is now crashing in my head, well, and the goes, thoughts are now smashing together. <laughs> it goes back to what we talked about previously about the idea of um, political centrism being very important. Because if you go too far into socialism, you become fascism. You go too far into fascism, it's indistinguishable from socialism. You know, sure. like, it, as it wraps around, they kind of wrap around to the same place. But all the stuff that um, and, and all the important stuff that happens happens in the middle, in the meshing, in the compromises. Um, you know, like people don't think about this. I was thinking about this just the other day. People think that um, one side should win and then that will be the best for a country. But the truth is, it's the fact that all the stuff in the middle is hard and that it's split down the middle and then there's compromises and there's difficulty and all of that that makes the country work because because of that, we can't sway too far to the left or too far to the right. You know, so we, 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 we're stuck in the middle. So basically what can happen can be reversed. You know, if, you know, like what, what's going on now, if you don't agree with it, well, somebody else comes into the White House can reverse most of that 
you know, it's not gone so far that it can't be pulled back. But if we don't have that compromise and that difficulty in the middle, then it can swing too far where something can't come back. And that's for both sides. And that's why, you know, that we have Congress and we have Senate and all this stuff because it's a room full of people arguing. And that's the way, you know, like we said before, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, but we, we, I, I, I don't, I don't understand why we forget that. You know, there's so much historical perspective for it. There's, there, there are so many stunning examples um, through not just our own, our, our own country, but through many other countries and societies throughout human history, where the moment you start swinging too far in either direction, you start to have serious problems internally, um, both economically and, and politically. And that's never not been true. Literally in every circumstance in which a country starts to fall apart, it, it's always because the extremes um, or the radicals with, within either side of the, the, the equation start to take hold. Right. It's because of two things. First of all, everybody wants to win. And so they don't want to believe that that's true. And number two, nobody fucking reads anymore. <laughs> so they don't yeah, even know that so stuff true. you're talking about. That's infuriating. I'm, I, and I hate to make that that broad sweeping assumption, but the number of people who, who I talk to about this kind of thing, even people I consider to be you know, reasonably educated or liberated when it comes to this kind of stuff, have so little historical perspective. It drives me crazy. Well, it it's, it's, sounds like we're making a sweeping generalization, but it's really easy to see. All you have to do is go on Twitter for five minutes and see. And it's not even that people don't have historical perspective and all of this stuff. It's literally that they argue about articles that they haven't read. Yeah, see it all over. People are arguing about the title of something and assuming that they know what the thing is about. You know, it's like I've mentioned before with Sam Harris. Like, you know, his ideas are so complex, and who he is as a person is so complex that most people don't even know who he is or what he really thinks. And it, that nuance is what we've lost. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, in a way, with this um, the idea of not memorizing things anymore sounds sure. sound, sounds weird to say but like when you're forced to memorize things um you, those words they swim around inside your head now they're a part of you you know when you read it it's different but when you are forced to memorize it it's in your head which means it's going to pop up at different points and that's the same thing with facts and information right so when you're walking around and you if god forbid you have your phone down for more than five minutes and you're alone in thought there's an opportunity for those things to pop up and you can contemplate and recontemplate. And it, it's a different level of learning and something that Google and the internet, and all these things, not through any fault of theirs, is taking away from us because we run to these things for answers instead of living inside of our heads more and contemplating what things mean. Speaking of contemplating and recontemplating, I think that's such a... a a important part of, of the memorization thing that you're talking about, which is, you know, there are certain books like Catcher in the Rye, for example, that I reread every five or six years. And I think that one of the important, one of the important aspects of, of being able to know a piece of work so well, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, is that you understand it differently at different points. You have epiphanies at different times when you have a certain experience that is relevant to something that you read that you didn't understand at the time. And I think without memorizing something or without knowing a, a piece of work that well, you never have that, that, that 
that moment of epiphany or that that type of catharsis you know it's 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 a really incredible feeling when you have it and i feel like so few people have it because so few people care to know things anymore <laughs> well i found this this fantastic um service it's called readwise i found it through actually through tim ferris's weekly email but um if you are a Kindle reader, like I am, I think it actually works for Apple Books too. You know, maybe you do highlights. I highlight a lot, um, but I don't have often, you know, I don't often pull out my iPad and open an old book and go, let's review my highlights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll see the highlights when I read the book again because I am a rereader. But what's really cool about this service is um, it hooks up to that so it can see all your highlights. And this is not a commercial. This is me telling Lamb about it. Um, what's cool is they send you an email every day. So if, you, if you've seen the quotes that I've been posting in my stories, um, those are coming from my emails. Those are things that I've highlighted in books that I've read before. And it'll pull like five or six every day um, out of your highlight history to remind you of them. You know, I can't remember. I think it's called interspersed learning or spaced, spaced learning. Um, that you know, you look at something so many times over certain periods of time, it works it better into your memory. So mm, they send sure. those to you. So you get like five, and it's usually from five different books. You know, it's not all from. Here's the five highlights you made on October 14th from The Catcher in the Rye. Um, you know, it's one from one book, one from another. Things that you read at all different times. Um, it's it's pretty cool. I'm actually I'm I've been talking to uh, one of the guys who who. Uh, created it and trying to get him on uh, creative minds because i just want to chat with him that's fascinating I, you gotta you gotta well i'll check the show notes for it but i really want that app that sounds incredible i think it's uh five dollars a month something like that totally worth it i think it might even be cheaper than that i might be wrong no kidding huh that's crazy it's, it's totally worth it if you if if you actually you know if, you, if you've read enough books on the kindle and you have enough highlights in there um then it's valuable you know, if you've if you're someone out there who's only read like four or five books on the Kindle so far, read about thirty more and then then get the service. <laughs> it's not worth the five dollars a month if it's not going to be able to send you anything. Oh, actually, there's another really cool feature too. I love this. Um, so you get your five or six that they send you, and then on the bottom there'll be a, book, a quote from a book that they like. Oh, you probably like this book. Um, so this is a cool way to find new books too. How accurate is it? Um, it's algorithms have a difficulty with me. (laughs) There's not a single algorithm that I've ever seen that predicts what I like ever. That's one of, that's one of the best sentences you've ever said to me, by the way. (laughs) It's, I mean, I've, I've been using Netflix since they were, since they first started the streaming, even a little bit before, um, when it was just the DVDs in the mail. So they have literally years and years and years of data on what I watch. And yet it still recommends stuff for me that I would never watch. <laughs> and uh, Amazon does the same thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm all over the board, though. You know, like the, anybody listens to the show, Random Badassery, you should know. I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. Highbrow, lowbrow, middlebrow, politics, comic books. <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah, they can't figure it out. Um, algorithms, more people, I guess, are more predictable than I am. Um, but, uh, kind of a segue sort of, uh, there's something I have written here that I wanted to remind myself to tell you, speaking of 
getting away from that kind of stuff. So I was listening to, I think it was the talk show with John Gruber. Pretty sure it was that show. And he was talking about there used to be a YouTube channel called, I'm doing this from memory. I think it's Every Frame a Picture. And it was like one of the original, uh, what you see on YouTube now where people kind of do like uh, essays about movies or about uh, TV shows. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know genre, I mean. So I guess yeah. they were one of the originals. Oh, quiet, Siri. <laughs> I don't know what I said there to wake her up. <laughs> Um. Anyways, wait. Does, wait. Does you, your Siri have a British accent too? Irish. She's ah, charming. Okay, mine's British. She's so gotcha. charming as an Irish girl Jeez. or woman, I should say. Um. Well, you know, I love redheads. So. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, that's my number one. Oh, um, okay. Okay, so back to every frame of picture. So when they started out, what they they looked at everything around them and they said, so everybody is using the internet to research everything, which means everybody's pulling from the same sources. So everything that comes out kind of sounds the same and kind of has the same things and says the same things. So they said, we're not going to do that. And they did everything they did on film. They actually went to libraries and to actual books and found sources that nobody else was using and they wouldn't allow themselves to research on the internet at all. Wow, weird. Isn't that incredible? That's pretty crazy. That's dedication, man. That's tough to do these days. It sounds so fun, though. You know, like I used to love doing research before the internet. Something about the accessibility kind of took the fun out of it because it, you weren't really finding something. You were just retrieving yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm very lazy about research now. Um, I remember how much I enjoyed doing things like going to the library, but it's been a long time since I had the impulse or desire to do that. And I'm and I'm kind of sad for it because I was such a big proponent of of physical research at some point, just because the tactile experience of finding information is so important to retention. Right, and I mean that's not to say also that you know the internet doesn't have its uses for those things. You know, like if I'm going back to that case thing that I brought up earlier. I'm going to research that the library is not going to do me much good because sure. there haven't been a lot of books written about it. So I actually have to go through public records and, you know, uh, newspaper archives and stuff like that. And the best place to find those is the internet right now, which is in, in that way, it's a very cool thing. Sure. But I think the process of being able to, to process that information in such a way that leads you to more more broad conclusions or, or more specific conclusions is 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 more um, easily trainable through the tactile process of learning. I think discovery is a really important is a is a really important cognitive skill, and and I think that you can't do that by just just you know literally. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember how you described it, but literally just plucking things off the internet. I think the process of discovery is so critically important. Yeah, there's. Um... I think it was The Outer Limits. There's an episode of the the 90s version of The Outer Limits where it was a society where there was like one master, basically it was Google before Google, you know, like one master resource of all information. And everybody had like these um, temple implants, like little implants on their temple. And anytime that they wanted, you know, they ask a question, it would just pull up the information for them. 
and there was like a something happened in that mother brain or whatever went down and nobody knew what to do because they didn't know how to think anymore because they didn't have to contemplate because in an instant they would have the answer to what they needed you know so like where do i need to go right now they didn't have to think about where they need to go because it's, you know there's a calendar popping up in front of them move here you know a map in front of them walk this way sure and it does it, i do fear in some ways that we move towards that um but I, I think because of the, the era that we were born in, we're still that rough edge where that sounds scary. <laughs> Whereas other people probably think it sounds amazing. Um, well, yeah. I don't think it either is inherently bad. I just think, you know, it's it's always about having a balance of of those things. The problem is that the the discipline to be able to choose the balance versus choosing one over the other you know there's some people for who are who are such luddites for example that they will only read books and ignore the internet entirely and i think that's that's really misguided as well you know there are people who only use the internet but i think that the best the best ways to incorporate you know the technology should just augment the way we learn not replace the way we learn and i think that's 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 something that people lose sight of Right. And I think that goes back to kind of what we were saying about everything else, about all the important stuff happens in the middle. It's the same here. You you know, you have to look at tools and go, is this useful in the way that I'm using it? Or actually a better way to say, it, is this the most useful for what I want to use it for? You know, like, for example, like I said, if you're going to do research on public records, the internet's probably the best tool. You're going to waste a lot of time trying to do it through... um going to get public records from, you know, the offices, especially if it's, if it's in a different state or a different country, you know, it's never going to happen. But Sure. Versus, versus reading Don Quixote on a computer screen, that would be infuriating. <laughs> no, reading Don Quixote is infuriating, period. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was setting you up. <laughs> well, do you it's think like you'll be with a you... Nerf bat for like six months? Do you think you'll ever make it through it? I did make it through it. <laughs> oh, did you? I didn't. Th- I, I thought you didn't finish it. No, my decision. My well, my decision. My my judgment of that book is based off of a complete reading of it. <laughs> oh man, I think maybe one day if I reread it, it will click in a different way. I don't know. We'll see. So, 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 how do you feel then when people say that Cervantes is the the father of the modern nar- modern novel? Wow, modern nar- modern novel. <laughs> say that five times fast. I think it's novel. Okay, I think it's totally go. possibly true. Um, it doesn't mean that it was good, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I can see the, you know, the whatever the wigwam was the the origin of the whatever kind of house you want to say doesn't mean I'd rather live in a wigwam. Considering the number of things we've talked about, this might be the one that gets you the most flack, and I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> the Don Quixote flag? Yeah, because there's going to be plenty of, plenty of literary <laughs> scholars out there who are going to sing the praises of Don Quixote, but I completely agree with you. I think it is hilariously overrated. Um, don't get me wrong. I still I see the value in what it created, especially if there was nothing like it before it. I get that, you know, but by that same token, it is hard to read and, and it is painful to read. <laughs> well, people have this, this problem with... Um, separating understanding the value of something uh because of what barriers it broke and you know what what it enabled to come after it and the actual value of the thing itself sure you know like um what the hell is that movie a birth of a nation 
which is sure. this horrible, basically pro KKK movie. Mm-hmm. It was groundbreaking for um, the way that it used narrative in film. And narrative had never been done in film the way that it was done in that movie. But it's still a fucking racist movie, and it's fucking boring too. Oh man, we're we're getting in the fun territory here. I feel the same way about Andy Warhol. I, I now don't get me wrong. I respect what he did for pop art and for for creating the environment in which pop art could could take on a life of its own and become political and public movements in in the same way that 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 music was um, prior to that. But I I literally hate almost everything he's ever done artistically. I respect what he's I I respect what he did for art, but I hate his art. I hate his actual artwork. I'm not. I, what bugs me about his work is usually his films. I think his films are just garbage. Oh, yeah. um, especially the sleeping me. one. Give me a fucking break. He feels he feels hacky to me. You know what I mean? Like it was it was it was all gimmicks and no substance. But there are Warhol pieces that I adore. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his, but the, the Elvis one where he's you know the cowboy Elvis. I like that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the pistol one. I like the pistol one. And there's like a couple other ones. The banana, of course, but I love the Velvet Underground. So, yeah, I can't escape that. I love Velvet Underground too. So, I mean, that, that one I'll give a free pass to just because <laughs> people I love love it. So, but yeah, I, I can't. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's really important to respect the, the pinnacles of movements. Um, you know, the, the first steps are always often the most clumsy, but most defining at the same time. And I think that, that, what we're talking about definitely falls into that category. Well, I think what's what's really important about Andy Warhol, um, and by the way, this is going back to that confusion thing. This is not me trying to say that he was a good artist. Um, everybody can have a different opinion on that. But what I think about uh, is important about him. And when you look back at all the great artists, what's important about them is that they were all unapologetically themselves. Um. Warhol was pretentious, so he made some pretentious shit. His movies are super pretentious, yeah. but that's who he was. He wasn't pretending to be somebody else. He was pretentious. Yeah, that's who he was. Uh, are we gonna are, are we gonna fall back into Bob Dylan here? We could. We could fall back into anybody with this. I oh, mean, man. find, a, find a great artist that wasn't themselves. They weren't a great artist, right? Sure. I mean, isn't that the difference between Salieri and uh, and Mozart? Mozart? Yeah, absolutely. Is that Salieri was always trying to please everybody, so he was never Salieri. So his music was forgotten. But Mozart was nuts, and he couldn't help but being himself. Sure, and and that allows us to to dive into some of our more favorite characters, like Bob Dylan. You know, being Bob Dylan by not sounding like the Bob Dylan that everybody wanted him to sound like. Yeah. You know, I, I I still I still I still respect him so much for that choice. So few people are are are, are aware of that choice. You know, he purposefully sounded the way that he sounded, not because he couldn't sing, but because he wanted to have that that different that that different sound to him. You know, it's 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 a pretty incredible choice. Um, you know, even even people who think, for for example, what that Pablo Picasso is remembered for being an abstract artist, but he wasn't always. No. You know, and he was actually a phenomenal artist. Otherwise, on top of that, and people forget that. You know, a lot of these things are very very terrifying choices for any you know can you imagine if you were super successful at something for 20 years of your life it paid your bills um you were remarkably good at it you were recognized for it and then you completely just turned it on its head because it no longer felt right right i mean that's such a brave choice 
And everybody, yeah, everybody sees these things from an outside perspective of like, why would you walk away from that? They're not walking away from anything. They're following, you know, their whatever. You, if, any, if, if anything, they're walking into something. Yeah, they're they're and it doesn't always work. You know, Bob Dylan made some pretty crappy <laughs> albums. We listened to every single one of them when we did that episode, and I can tell you, I didn't like a lot of them. Oh yeah, there's a whole middle period in there that I I had to fight my way through, man. That was tough. And even some of the stuff after that, it was like, you know, one good one and then like two crap and then one good one and then one mediocre one and then three crap. <laughs> Absolutely. But he was always doing Bob Dylan. And, you know, that that's what's... You look at somebody or some band like the Beatles, everybody's like, wow, they didn't ever make a misstep. They were lucky. Yeah. You know? It wasn't. It wasn't that they were special or any different than any of the other artists. It's they just they weren't together long enough <laughs> to make enough mistakes. <laughs> That's definitely true. Like I mean, if, even even some of our even some of my favorite bands. You know, I don't love every Radiohead song. There are quite a few Radiohead songs that are that are kind of tough to get through. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails, same thing. Like a lot of these anthem bands that I've I've had in my pantheon of bands for so long, I haven't loved every piece of work they've done, and I don't want to give them a free pass be, just because I love them. You know, they they put out some shit, and that's yeah. just the the nature of of doing that for long enough. And and actually, I think the better way to say it is that's the nature of staying true to yourself. Not not everything you do is going to be accepted by everyone. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. That's I mean, that's what the you know going back to the outsider thing. That's what an artist does. An artist steps out of the circle. If they stay in the circle, they're a businessman. Yeah. I tend to use the word um, craftsman in this sense, um, not as an insult to craftsmen, but I, I believe craftsmen. The goal of craft is to perfect something. You know, like I make a table. I want to make the best damn table. And every time I make a table, I'm trying to make a better table. But I'm trying to perfect it so that I can continually make the perfect table. But an artist wants to break things sometimes. So, you know, there's craft involved in art and there's art involved in craft. But the the defining difference between those two, you know, between someone who you would say is a craftsman and an artist is an artist will crash and burn something just to find out what happens. Whereas a craftsman wants to minimize and bring things down to a perfect, you know, it's like, yeah, Yero dreams of sushi, that documentary. He's a craftsman. He wants to make the perfect sushi. It's an art, but the art is the dedication to the perfection. Everything else about it is craft. Every, every single person alive needs to see that documentary. Hmm. I need to eat there too. <laughs> oh, that's got to be on our bucket list, man. If we if we have one defining meal between us, it's got to be there. Yeah, when we when we do our random badassery tour, our holy fool tour of Japan. <laughs> yeah, we'll go there. Hopefully, he'll still be alive. <laughs> uh, the likelihood is not great. I mean, he's pretty up there, isn't he? Yeah. Well, his son's his son's pretty much taking over. He has his his own. I think he started out with his own um, kind of franchise of it. But I assume at this point he's probably taken over most of it. Mm, makes just sense. fine. He's he's had to learn it his whole life too, so he's probably just as good as his father. Sure, and he learned from the best, the the pinnacle best of all time. Can you imagine that? Can you be? Can you imagine being that person? 
I would like to think that, um, actually, this this is funny. This is going to play into something I was going to tell you. I'd like to think at a certain point that we can feel that way about podcasting. <laughs> oh, true. Good point. You know what's you know what's funny though. Like I think I think in in his particular case, he doesn't even think of himself as the best. He doesn't care about that. No. Yeah, he just keeps doing. He's he's just like a force of nature. You know that you can't you can't thank the sun for being hot because it's just the sun, <laughs> right? And in, in listening to these episodes, I think our best episodes are where we forget we're podcasting. Oh, that's true. You know, where we're just being unapologetically ourselves. Um, what I was going to tell you about is kind of remember before I had mentioned something about uh, some percentage of podcasts have um, this many episodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually ran across that again, and it kind of plays into what we're talking about. So I just want to read off some of these stats. And actually, this is I'm gonna I'll link to the article. You should read it. It's a really good article. It's very short. Um, so this guy basically he it, it's another synchronicity thing. I've been using that Castbox app. I sent it to you to check it out. It's a cool podcasting app. This guy actually did all this research using Castbox because Castbox will show you how many people are subscribed to a show how many people have liked it and um, how many people have, uh, I think, uh, listened to or played episodes. So you can, and then all that's accessible to the public, which is really cool. So he used all that data and he found that 12% of all podcasts on CastBox, which is most podcasts because they pull from iTunes, have only one episode. Wow. 6% haven't made it past two. So it's 18% that don't have more than two episodes. Half of all podcasts have fewer than 14. That's incredible. That's shocking. By the way, uh, next week's our 50th episode. Wow, that's crazy. Feels weird because we've only, you know, this is only like our fifth since we came back. But yeah, 50 next week. Yeah, it almost feels like a completely different life, those old episodes. Because I remember it was such a... There's a part of me that wants to do that every once in a while again, just for the, the process of doing it. Just it was so much fun to dive into an artist. Oh yeah, I think you know what would be interesting to do um, is we can do that as like bonus content. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because I mean, doing it every week was really daunting. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Yeah, if we did it every, I think it was a lot of work. If we did it every couple months, maybe as a video, even sure. um, we can put that up for the Patreon supporters. Um, that'd oh, be something that would be cool. Something really cool for them to you know like to entice them to want to do it, and it's something that we already want to do. Sure. Um, yeah, let's do that. Oh, that's uh, a really great idea. If you're listening, um, people become Patreon supporters. <laughs> uh, if that interests you. Uh, a couple, two more stats real quick. Um, the top 100 most played shows in CastBox have over... Um, oh, sorry, I read that wrong. The top 100 most played shows in CastBox have a median episode count of 203.5. And the top 1,000 have a median of 191.5. And this guy's huh. whole, whole point is that podcasting is a long game. And I have yeah. to say, in my experience, in the years that we've been doing this, that's totally true. It takes time. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, just look at our, our show. It had to go through so many permutations and we still don't. It's, it's, and, and it's funny because now I think we don't care if it's right or not. And that's why it's right. And it, it takes a shocking, shocking amount of time for people to actually hear about it. You know, like even people that we know, you know, like I've been posting podcasts for two and a half years on social networks. And literally right before we started recording this, 
I got a text message from two people that listen to the podcast for the first time that I know just because I interviewed Ryan. How interesting. So isn't that, I mean, it took that long for them to get around to checking it out. And I'm not saying anything against them or anything like that. That's just the way things are. And I think uh, people jump into a game like this, you know, trying to build something fast. And I don't think there's a fast way to build an audience with podcasting. You just have to stick around. Yeah, and I think that's true for most things too. I mean, every once in a while you get lucky because the timing's right for a certain kind of show. Yes, yeah, I think that's so. I, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's so much more rare. Um, you know, most good most good shows that we think of, like I think of uh, Marin's show or like the Nerdist podcast. I mean, there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah, and, look at and, Rogan; and, he's going to break two thousand probably in the next oh, year. Wow, are you serious? He's up to two k. Jeez. Uh, oh, maybe he's he might be at fifteen hundred, but either way, even so, anything above a thousand is ungodly. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Nor- and I went back and I listened to episode one. It's the it's the gift that uh, I think the reason that so many stand up comedians became podcasters. They're kind of good from the beginning, uh, hmm. because they've got mic technique and they've got you know they know how to just talk. They're professional talkers. And they're professional entertaining talkers. And so even that first show, there's like technical issues and stuff going on. It's still a good episode. You know, I'm still I'm still slightly shocked by how much I enjoy listening to our episodes. Me too. It's I, I see these things all the time that people don't listen to their own stuff and, and things like that. And they think it's weird. I don't. I don't either. Number one, I need to listen to edit. Number two, I need to listen for quality. To make sure that you know we're putting out stuff that's not stupid, you know, <laughs> just for my own self edification. But I really I I enjoy listening to our conversations, and, and I don't think that's weird. I I really want to loop this back into Star Trek somehow. I, do you I have a way, a or do you need a rope? <laughs> I, I know that's I know that's a really weird impulse, but because of the the Mars lander, I've been so on this space kick for the last week. And I mean, I was interested in space before that. Like, you know, I'm a huge fan of astrophysics. It, it's 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 weird to even say I'm a fan of astrophysics. <laughs> I, I studied astrophysics. It's not like it's a football team. Um, but you know, I I I, I was so it, it. I was literally talking to Crystal about this last night, um, and how I I want to be. I wish I lived in a different time in which it were possible to me for me to be a starship captain. And I and I and I'm not talking about it in some kind of fanciful, just you know, Kirk exploring the universe kind of way. I'm talking about all of the the decisions that you would have to make, like the tough choices, the new discoveries, the the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations, the things that go along with actually being a, a starship captain. I I think I'd really enjoy that entire encapsulated experience. You know, if you go to the Holy Fool homepage, you'll see a description of Holy Fool. You scroll down, you'll see a description of me, and I give myself the subtitle Supreme Fool. And underneath me is Lamb, and his subtitle is number one. Yes, and that's a that's a Star Trek reference. That is, uh, he's the Riker to my bald <laughs> old man. And and, and I'm, <laughs> I don't even want to say it. You're dashing, and, and I'm old and wrinkled. When I loved and I loved to power stance too. So remember the the Riker power you stance. You do like to power stance. That is not a joke. I do. So I am your Riker. I'm literally your Riker. By the way, um, weird transition here. Um, <laughs> I uh, remember we were talking about, um, I swear this loops back. We were talking about giving yourself self examinations. Oh, man. 
Yeah. yeah. So I, I found a bump. Uh oh. Yeah. So uh, that was terrifying. I found it the, like the day before Thanksgiving, and uh, my balls hurt all day Thanksgiving, and I was I was terrified. You know, I started thinking about like, oh great, now I'm going to lose a nut. You know, like they're going to have to snip me. And I mean, it wasn't like a tiny bump. It was like like the size of half of the fingernail on your pinky. Uh, I shouldn't say was, is. So I went in and it turns out it's not a problem. It's a cyst. Apparently epididymal cysts are very common in men and they don't really go anywhere. (laughs) So if if you guys are feeling something and you feel, you feel bump, don't worry. Um, First of all, what I learned is like 99% of cancer is in the ball itself. So if you don't know what the epididymis is, um, think of anybody know what a, a lima bean looks like? There's the big bean and then there's that little thing on top that attaches to the vine. That little, I don't know, looks like a latch on. That's your epididymis. That's what it looks like. And that attaches to the tubes. Um, but your actual ball. So if you have a bump in the ball, you, you, I mean, if you have a bump anywhere, you should have it checked out. But if it's in that top thing, it's probably just a dilated tube because that's a coil of tubes. That's what I have. Um, huh. But the reason I brought that up is when I, I went in on Friday, that's what I found out. But then like my hips started hurting over the weekend and I was nauseous for like two and a half days. So I had to go back in again yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And so once again, having this, uh, an examination, which... Um, if you guys haven't had a doctor, check out your testicles um, or you're a woman. You probably, actually, if you're a woman, you know how weird this is because you have other parts where doctors have to check out. It's so weird. Um, so my doctor was on vacation, so I had to have a doctor I've never met before. Luckily, mm. he had a good sense of humor. So we're talking and he did all the stuff and then he goes, okay, now comes for the fun part. He's putting on the gloves. He's like, nothing like meeting somebody for the first time and groping their testicles. <laughs> so what I but the reason I brought this up besides I wanted to follow up on that and let you guys know that um if you find something don't be terrified like I was. Um when I so I've got the the robe on and I pushed the robe to the side and you know you got your shorts down to your knees and I I found that I'm holding the robe I mean the the gown with my right hand and I've got my left hand on my hip. So I, I, while he was growing, <laughs> giving me the examination, I was doing a half power stance. <laughs> oh, I, so you, I, I, you're making me picture that. And I'm, I both hate and love you for that. At the same time. <laughs> it's okay. There's at least 26 other people that are picturing it right now too. Dear God. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was terrifying. That was really terrifying. Um, you know, speaking of synchronicity too, I was listening to another episode of Duncan Trussell and he made this offhand comment about how literally there was like two days after this happened, he made this offhand comment about how he had to have one of his testicles removed. Whoa. I was like, Whoa, that is a, and it wasn't even a conversation. He just said, he's like, you know, he's, I found a bump. He's like, so I had to have a ball snip, blah, blah, blah. And then he went on to whatever he was talking about. And I'm like, that just happened. Like (laughs) synchronicities everywhere. Wow, weirdly casual about it too. Mm-hmm. Actually, did you have more about astrophysics or? Um, um, I mean, I could talk for four hours on that, but I mean, 
I, I kind of feel like it's it's a good intro for this week. I feel like I'm going to have stronger feelings about it over the coming weeks as the the Mars data starts coming back. And by the way, have you seen those those high res images of Pluto? I saw uh, no, not Pluto. I saw the Mars rover photo. Which oh man! I just Please. stared at it for like ten minutes, trying to get oh, yeah. my brain to realize that I was looking <laughs> at another planet. You have to see the Pluto pictures. Just Google that. I mean that they're they're unbelievable. I'm doing it right now. Pluto pictures. Let's see how that works. Let's test your skills, Google. Okay, what am I looking for? Um, I don't even know what the search string would be. I saw them when they popped up live, um, but they're the the brand new shots of Pluto from um, space. Yeah, from space. Okay, yeah, that's incredible. what I'm looking at. I wasn't sure if it was something else. Oh, wow. I know. That's like the coolest marble ever. I know. It's it's the gnarliest thing. The blues and the reds. My God, that is gorgeous. Yeah, I had no idea. You know, for, for the majority of my, my, my life, I've always thought of this Pluto as this random small ball of rock that had no color or personality to it. And after seeing these images, I think completely different about it. Well, it says, uh, this, this thing says it's colorized infrared. So this, this isn't actually the color of the, of the planet. Sure, but I never knew there were even geological formations on that surface. Mm, yeah. Look at the size of those craters too. Wow. I know, it's unbelievable. It's so crazy. That is really cool. If you guys aren't looking at this, you should. It's just, space is just mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is part of the reason why the thought experiment for me of just being a Starship captain and think of the amount of danger and space that you're dealing with. I mean, just the sheer volume of space is so far beyond anything that we can possibly fathom as these tiny little humans on this one small green rock, you know? Right. And think about, you know, like if you just think about Star Trek, the next generation, think about all the times when they didn't have something exciting going on and they were just driving a boat through some really dark waters forever and not only that but that's probably a majority of the time right. you know we for example we have these weird images of the asteroid belt let's just take the asteroid belt right so in movies and stuff like that the asteroids are super close together um and you know ships are having to fly in tight formation to like avoid them and all that kind of stuff but actual the actual asteroid belt i mean the the asteroids are like hundreds of miles apart right? <laughs> and there, there's these tiny little you know four or five square mile pieces of rock like you can't even see one from from the next from the next closest one and they're moving at incremental speed yep it's less exciting but more amazing it's it's that's the weird thing about space right the 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 sheer scope of it like you said is mind-blowing but the actual re- reality of it is kind of mundane. It also, it, it, and by the, but by that same token, it's also pretty amazing. Um, here's something that well, the mundane um, is amazing. The mundane is amazing. The, the absolutely. And I, the, here's another video that I, I I have to find and I'll send to you to put in the show notes. But you know, we always think of the, the just the, the solar system itself, the you know all the planets rotating around the sun. We forget that the sun itself is also rotating around a galaxy, and the galaxy is also rotating around in, the universe in a way. So there's this really cool animation that I saw at some point that showed the trajectory of the sun and the orbit of the planets as it's moving through in a cylindrical orbit around our galaxy it's really cool looking <laughs> i gotta see that yeah it's it's crazy to look at there's um i will never be able to find this because it's something i saw years ago and i don't know where i saw it but it was a visualization of 
um, I think it was the entirety of the universe. Uh, Oof. So it's, it's, it just looks like these like um, branched off clusters of purple dots. And then you zoom in and it's a galaxy and a galaxy. And you just keep zooming in and zooming in until you get to a planet and you realize the vastness. Because it starts out here and you're like, okay, we'll zoom in. We'll get to a planet. But it takes forever to get zoomed down to the planet level. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, I guess that's why, to me, I always I always go by um, that movie Contact. You know, if there aren't, if there isn't other life out there in the vast, vast, vastness of the universe, it is an awful waste of space. Oh, man, are we going to start talking about the Fermi Paradox? It's, oh, and plus, what's the what's the other one? The um, what's the number? Oh, the um, it's the number of civilized no, uh, uh, there's, there's bound civilizations or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Fermi paradox. Th- there are a couple of videos that I guess in your way that are really entertaining um, about theories surrounding the Fermi paradox. Um, so, oh man, I feel like that's an entire episode by itself. We could literally talk about the Fermi Paradox for hours. Um, that's why I like yeah. this idea of this being a continual conversation. Yeah, I, we can I, bring back in more stuff every time. I, it's so... We're such tiny little creatures. The universe is such a vast place. And people forget, too, that the universe is not static. It's continuing to expand at a faster and faster rate. Um, I'm thinking of the Drake Equation. Drake equation, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the probable statistical argument used to estimate the number of active communicative, communicative, that's a fun word, extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy alone? Also, by the way, um, at some point, we should probably talk about the Kardashev scale. I don't even know what that is, so we definitely should. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to go full space nerd at some point. I'm, I'll talk to you about the Kardashev scale. Okay, well, since we're talking about space, I'm gonna. I have a rant that I'd like to go on, and I think you'll you'll you enjoy this. Um, it is a four-part rant, <laughs> but every stop is very fun to stop, look around, and scream at the walls. Um, so I was listening to stuff they don't want you to know the podcast, and they were interviewing David Wilcock. And if you guys watch Ancient Aliens, he's a guy that's on there a lot. He has kind of longish blonde hair, and if he was a cartoon, he'd probably be a turtle. Um, <laughs> such a dick thing to say. Um, I think he was talking about Gilbeckli Tempe, but I could be wrong. Um, but he's he's talking about the giant size of, you know, you could say it about any any monolithic structure, um, like the pyramids or Stonehenge. The, just saying, you know, like, oh, the fact that these are so big and that we can't move them now, we've talked about this before. Um, and then all of a sudden I was kind of like spacing out and then I heard him say the words, quote, if we apply Occam's razor, then the only explanation is more advanced civilizations did it. And I wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> um, for those unclear on this, yes, Occam's razor is often stated as the simplest possible solution is usually the correct one. It's sort of what Occam's razor says, first of all, William of Occam never actually said he had different versions of this. And, you know, he didn't call it Occam's razor. Somebody named that after him, after he was dead. But the better way to explain what he was saying is the solution that has the least number of assumptions 
is usually correct. And I think yeah. if you say it like that, it makes it more clear what Occam's razor means. You know, like, for example, the chair in my room is moved. <laughs> now, I could say uh, a space alien broke into my house and they moved it over there. But, you know, I'm making assumptions that there are aliens. that so they came to Earth, I'm making an assumption that they moved the chair. Or I could just say, I probably moved it myself and forgot. I wonder, I wonder who co-opted Occam's razor and modified it into its current version. I don't know if it's, it's Man, I, one I, person. I, I think hate, it's just, I hate, I hate social and colloquial understandings of things, by the way. It just happens. And it's not a bad thing. And it sucks because, um, it dilutes the actual meaning and then, excuse me, it ends up getting used in the opposite, but it's also how information is disseminated to the masses. And or how information gets gets twisted in such a way that it no longer is valid information. Right. But without that mechanism, most people wouldn't learn science. Yeah. So I guess you, you have to take the good with the bad in that sense. Like the facts of life? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Well done, dude. So, so I guess I guess for every six or seven bad example or good examples, there's one bad example. And that bad example is what infuriates me. Yes. And it... It should. And this is a great example of that. And this is my first rant to him about Occam's razor. So if somehow this makes it in front of him, I'd like to explain something to you, sir. First of all, (laughs) in order for aliens to have built the ancient structures, we must first make assumption number one, there is non-earthly life in the universe. Assumption number two, that they are more advanced than us. Number three, that they can travel in space. Number four, that they found a way around physics and light speed barrier. Number five, that they came to Earth. Number six, that they paid attention to human beings. Number seven, that they actually wanted to build things. Number eight, that they chose stone to work in stone. And number nine, that they left without a verifiable artifact other than what they built. Or we could say humans built the ancient structures. Assumption needed. They knew shit we don't. Wow, you have thought long and hard about that one. And I told you it was a rant. I was pissed <laughs> off. And there's more to it. It goes in different directions. But that's the first part. Let's stop that, there. Are there anything that, is, that you would like to input on that? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I completely agree with it wholeheartedly. I, I didn't have as much of a a beautiful and eloquent answer to to the the actual thing, but I, I I've been mad about Occam's Razor for I don't know twenty years. Probably. There's so many because, you know, possible it, titles for this episode. Mad at Occam's Razor for a long time is a good title. Too. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was talking to Crystal last night about about um, philosophy and how so few people actually understand what philosophy actually is. Um, the, the the process of philosophy is 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 what defines it, not these stupid catchphrases that people then use to define what they think philosophy is. Right. It's the process. It's the reason why the scientific method evolved out of philosophy. It's the reason why logic and psychology and all of the things we understand in our modern world came out of, of philosophy. Like it's it's such an important thing to understand. In, in the scope of human history and human culture, that that having it co-opted in such a meaningless way is so irritating to me. Well, so many people will say, what's the point of philosophy? All it is is people arguing. Everything, That's, all of it. That forever. is the point. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's the reason we're humans. I mean, the reasons we're, we're we're humans is because we we continually ask why, and we answer the question over and over and over again, and that's what makes us different from a fucking squirrel. My favorite parts of philosophy are the what ifs. Absolutely, you know, it's like, all about the questions. What if that's not true? <laughs> what, what if, if there? What if? What if there's white matter to to oppose dark matter? Yeah, that's a philosophical and scientific question. How about what if this time I eat a mushroom, I explode? <laughs> you know, metaphysics. Who knows? You know, like what uh, if this chair isn't actually here and I fall on the ground? Oh, metaphysics. That that also is that literally is how the conversation between Crystal and I started, and how physics and metaphysics have literally nothing to do with each other. Until you put in um, what's it called, quantum <laughs> mechanics, and you're like, well, maybe they might. Yeah, quantum mechanics is yeah, but that's a whole different can of worms. I mean, very few people even understand what the the, the word quantum mechanics means, much less how it actually works. So yeah. that that's a long reach, dude. <laughs> and I'm not going to claim to be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just talking about shit. people who 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 have like these 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 claims about metaphysics at like a bookstore in Santa Cruz with their dreads and. Ugh. <laughs> Okay, I, I got to get off my, my hatred mode here. I don't hate all hippies. I don't. I really don't. Well, I started um, I just, it because this rant is just feeding it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just basically dumping gasoline on my fire of disdain. Well, let me tell you something, Lamb. If somebody ever tells you about something like this guy did, and they ever quote something from the Vedas or the Mahabhata, Mahabhata or the Ramayana, it's bullshit because I guarantee you they haven't fucking read it. <laughs> oh, I promise you that. Yeah. They are so long. Nobody, you can tell me, oh, like, oh, this, uh, this guy's trying to say, you know, this, this happened in the Mahabharata. Fuck you. The Mahabharata <laughs> is over 2,000 lines of verse. If you buy, if you try to get it on the Kindle, there are 11 volumes and volume one alone is like 40 hours. Fuck you. Tell me what's in the Mahabharata. You, some guy told you who told him who told you, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Or they saw it on the t-shirt and it stuck with them forever. <laughs> it just pisses me off. It's like, you're going to stand up there and they say things with such a definitive, you know, like, I know this. You don't know that. And then you get people to buy in on it. And then, you know, they buy your fucking book or whatever. You know, good for you that you're making a living, but you're making a living off of bullshit. At least acknowledge that there's some bullshit in what you're saying. You know, it, oh man, this, this, I feel like this is such a deep rabbit hole for us because I, I have such strong feelings about certain statements in philosophy, for example, like the, 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 the seminal classic, which is, um, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that the importance of that fucking phrase is the journey it took to get to that conclusion. Right. And the journey itself defines the statement. So if you don't know what the fuck the journey was, then you have no you have no right using that particular phrase because you have no idea what the hell it actually means. Well, plus, you know, like, and this happens with philosophy, but it doesn't happen anymore probably than... Uh, the worst place it happens is in holy text. But we're talking about things that get translated and then translated. And it, 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 come on, people are saying these things, you know, like, oh, I understand that. You you read it in English. It was written in Spanish in, in or Latin in the case of what you're talking about. In the case of the Mahabharata, it's an oral history for, I don't know how many hundreds of years. So it was just stories people told each other and remembered. Then they wrote it down. They wrote it down in Sanskrit. 
And then it probably got translated from Sanskrit to Hindi and then finally into English. So even if you read all that shit, you didn't read it in the language it was written in. So don't tell me that it has spaceships in it. <laughs> like, yeah, I understand that the um, Vimanas are these flying like chariots in the sky, but the flying chariot in the sky is not a spaceship necessarily. You know, people will see weird shit. They might think that it's a chariot and it might actually be a chariot and not a spaceship. And it might've just been an acid trip. I mean, there's still, I mean, there's still cultures in the world that believe that constellations run across the sky every night. So I hear you. Yeah. And our favorite people on planet, the flat earthers, um, our favorite, I should say our favorite people on the disc. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hello, all flat earthers out there. Um, Here's, here's another one of my favorite people or favorite things that gets said. Oh, and then they took the technology and they reverse engineered it. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, do you think people even understand how difficult it is to reverse engineer something? They think that, oh, well, they had a spaceship, therefore they figured out how it worked. Come on. You'd tell me if I went back in time and I handed Cleopatra an iPhone, she could find some dude that could figure out how to take it apart and make one? No. Yes, absolutely. They didn't even know what a screw was. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe in like a thousand years they'd figure out what the hell that lump of plastic and metal was. They didn't even know what the hell plastic is. I think in a year in a thousand years, maybe they'd be able to figure out how to download Candy Crush. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I don't think they'd be able to build an iPhone. And I think that that's the problem with these um, reverse engineering theories, is it's it's based on the assumption that the two technologies or the two um civilizations have kind of similar or equal level of technology you know that i can figure out okay if you give me a television that was made in russia and i know how to make a television in america yeah i can reverse engineer their television and figure out what they did because i know the parts and i'm familiar with the way they fit together but if i have no frame of reference which i mean the distance between us and ancient egypt is closer than the distance between us and a spaceship that can travel faster than the speed of light through the universe. Yeah, I mean, the, the leaps the leaps that we'd have to take just scientifically in order to understand what we're looking at, much less how it works, is so far beyond. Like, you know, it, it, and it, I think it's the arrogance of humans in that sense, too. I mean, I, this, this, this then loops around to another conversation I eventually wanted to have with you, which is about religion. You know, which is if there was some kind of all-seeing, all-powerful deity that that ruled over the infinite multiverse, how in how could we possibly conceive of what that that being or that creature is is thinking of? You know, it, what's important to that being? Like, what right. what their concept of time or space or morality or any of that crap is? I mean, it's I such can't a, even predict what you a, want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I can't. I can't predict what's going to happen to the country in a week, you know, much less what what the master of the infinite multiverse is thinking right now. (laughs) Yeah, going back to earlier, Netflix with all their algorithms can't even tell me what movie I want to watch. (laughs) Yeah, and we're and we're going to somehow think that we can write down Ten Commandments that God gave to somebody. Come on, Uh, let's let's let's. Okay, let's not get into a a religious rant. I think that's that's. It's different okay. waters for us. I have one more part to this rant. And this one's actually a fun one because this one is goofy and weird, but it's something that he said he went on and he said that um, apparently that um, 
because we were able to reverse engineer that um, spaceship, I think he was talking about Roswell spaceship, um, that we've secretly been planting space stations throughout the universe and that humans have actually already populated the universe. And that what we've been doing is secretly sneaking people off the planet. And, uh, you know, what? apparently nobody noticed that all these people were disappearing. <laughs> and what? that... And that uh, this is the kind of fun part, though. Apparently, those people on the space stations were told that the Earth was destroyed by nuclear war, so they don't think that they have any home to come back to. Jeez. I mean, fun story. I'm not going to lie. That's a really fun story. Well, it'd be it'd be really cool fiction if somebody wrote it. Totally. Apparently, somebody has. They just wrote it as truth. Yeah, it's true. Oh, man, that, that leads me to another religious thing, but I'm not going to say it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's basically Asimov's Foundation series in a nutshell, right? Right. Or um, Orson Scott Card. Yeah. The end yeah. Of series. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, come on. You can tell me we have. Oh, so we've had. Well, not even we have. We've had for a long time the technology to colonize space. Yet we can't figure out how to get Android messages to show up on the iPhone in the right order. Sure. And, and we, we can't. can't we- we can't. We can't make a robot with a fully articulated hand that can work like a human hand. Come on. Or, or we can't make a stoplight that figures out there's nobody else on the street but me. Yeah. Or a lith- or a lithium polymer battery that lasts more than two days. Or, uh, or how about um, we can't find a plane that, with hundreds of people on it that disappeared over the ocean on our own planet. But yeah, we can yeah. travel through space right now. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. We can. We can. We can break that barrier. You know. We can. We can basically crush relativity as we've known it for the entire time that Einstein has theorized about it. Sure. Actually, I probably shouldn't have brought up the plane disappearance because that guy would probably say those are the people that are up there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they're 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 living just past Alpha Centauri now. Sorry, Chad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was that was a, a an interview ripe with um, frustrations for me. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, is there anything? I've been kind of controlling the conversation. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Well, I feel like we both kind of spiraled into each other's things pretty well. You know, we went from space to rants to space rants, and I think that's that's a good and succinct way to kind of wrap it all up. Oh, I do have a few more things. That's why I was asking. Um, no, I don't. I don't have anything immediately off the top of my head. I'm still thinking about being a starship captain. Okay. Um, these should be fairly short. These are kind of, um, yeah, these are like bullet points. Um, kind of, it kind of fits into our conversation earlier about, uh, technology and, you know, being in the middle, figuring out what works best. I think, um, I think I'm going to try bullet journaling again, man. You remember when I was doing that? Oh yeah. Uh huh. I think, I, I think I'm over to do apps and I just need to like do it on paper. I think I need that simplicity. I'm going to try that. You know, going back to the idea of we talk about things, try it out and let people know how it works. I think that's sure. going to be an experiment for me is trying to do bullet journaling. Man, you did it for a long time. Yeah, and it was it was pretty good. I don't know why I stopped doing it. If, if you guys aren't familiar with what bullet journaling is, the basic way to say it is it's doing your to-dos on a... It's a pretty cool system on paper. Instead of using, you know, um, Todoist or Apple Reminders or, you know, one of the many, many, many apps, Asana or whatever. So I'm going to try that. Um, also, another point, I got an email. This is a great one. I got an email from Apple today. Yeah, today. 
telling me, by the way, the computer you bought, the hard drive is kind of, we're finding out, kind of sucks ass. So now you have to bring it in for servicing. <laughs> what? I mean, cool. You told me it's messed up before it broke anything. But Jesus, I had to figure out how to back up everything because I haven't used Time Machine in forever. Um, but Really? I love that. I mean, that's honestly, that's the thing I miss most about Mac OS, Mac OS is the ability to... To, to time machine everything. Well, I had awesome. the I had the physical time machine before, and back when I had that, that was the only way you could back up. It was to that actual device. Mm-hmm. Now you can back it up to any USB, um, you know, any external drive. I didn't know that, so I yep. had to learn all that. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping that maybe there's a small part of me that's hoping maybe they'll just say, you know what, let's just give you one of these new. MacBooks instead. <laughs> I mean, it's only a year hope. old, but the ones they released this year are a huge upgrade. Yeah. I mean, the likelihood is not great, but one can hope. Right. Yeah. One can hope. Um, oh, I've been... You, you need to get on the Discord server. I need to get you on there. Did you read that email? Did you see that? I didn't know. Wait, what are you talking about? I sent you an email. I think it was last week. Um, you and everybody that's been a guest on Creative Mind. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I did see that. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm trying that out. I'm going to see how that works. I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting perspective on, on creating a community. It's free with Patreon. So I want to, I think it would be cool, at least if you and I are on there putting recommendations, at least there's something interesting going up. Do you have a, do you have anyone else that, that, um, I, like, I feel like with one of those things, we have to physically ask people to opt in. You know, especially initially, just so there's there's kind of a, a shared space that everyone feels like they can come back to to do that kind of stuff. Well, uh, what do you mean? I'm not clear clear on what you're asking. Like, ask physically ask people to to join um, among well, our friends, have, not people, not listeners necessarily. Well, I have as far as former guests, I have three people that signed up already. They just haven't posted anything because I don't think they know what to do. Um, yeah, which is totally understandable. Uh, but. Basically, what I'm trying to do is I want I want to have a couple public channels, you know, that because it's a good way to do certain things. So I, I figured it would be a benefit to the guests, former guests, to be able to share news. You know, like, um, hey, I have a new album. You know, n- not all the minutia stuff, but then to share with people of of my audience, like what they're up to, um, because then they can maybe get more downloads or more purchases or whatever you know they're making um and it's interesting for those those audience but i want that channel to be public because i want excuse me i want anybody to have access to that information um but then the 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 recommendation one i thought you know it's got to be something for patrons so i thought that you know like at least me and you and then whatever patrons on there can be sharing recommendations back and forth if other former guests of the show want to jump in on that, cool. There's a bonus, but I don't, I, th- I think that until I've been posted on there, if you start posting on there, then there'll be, you know, somebody else will see another person on there. And the only way we're going to be able to build that is very slowly. Sure. Because people have to, you know, like you said, like, why do I want to be here? Well, right now there's no reason for them to want to be on there. Cause it's just Chad. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an it's an interesting experiment. I'm not uh, investing a ton of time into it um, because, like I said, there's no one on there. Well, I mean, it's a cool idea, though. I mean, I like the idea of having a shared space where where 
a space where people can share things of that nature um, in real time um, that isn't specifically just music or just books. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I figure it's 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 easier than all the other options because it's distraction free. You know, sure. like. Uh, I tried doing Facebook groups before, but the Facebook group posts just get buried in every other Facebook notification they get. So you don't end up getting much more participation on a Facebook group than you would on anything else. But this is like, you know, if you see a notification there for you, then like, okay, I know it's not a bullshit notification. I know it's, you know, I only use Discord for one thing. So therefore I know what that is. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It's a fun experiment. It's all part of what I was telling you the other day of just trying to stand out and just do things more um, me and more you. You know what I mean? That's what. That's why I want you to participate too because it needs your flavor too. Gotcha. Um, and then I think the last thing I wanted to tell you about in this is I don't even have a segue for this one. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen, I think it was like from the 60s, there's a show called The Flying Nun. Why? Oh, that sounds really familiar. I feel like Sally Field was in it, but I could be wrong. Um, hold on, let me look real quick because that seems like a weird thing to claim if I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Flying Nun. Uh, who was in it? Sally Field. Yep. Okay. Um, I don't know anything about the show, <laughs> but uh, I was flipping through. Every once in a while, I'll turn on the actual cable box that I get for free, and I just flip through the channels just to see. And some channel was playing this. The show is from, where is it? Where is the year? 1967 to 1970. And I'm pretty sure the nun flies. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, I was, I flipped through and there's a scene and this habit that the nun wears, these nuns wear, it looks like wings. It's like a weird habit um, on their head. Uh, <laughs> And she's like floating in the air and there's these balloons and the balloons have faces on them. And I'm like, holy shit, talk about psychedelic art. Like <laughs> what drugs were the people that made this show on? And then, and then I started thinking, I'm like, what if they weren't on any? What if this is just like really extreme religious belief? And then, uh, like, and then I was like, hmm, can Jesus be, I mean, can you get as high on Jesus as he can on acid? <laughs> I mean, is Jesus like acid? Oh, man, that's one of the most random things I've ever heard, Chad. Actually, you know, actually, I didn't think about this when I wrote it down, but um, I think it's Terrence McKenna, uh, who's a famed psycho, um, psychonaut. Um, I think that's the phrase for psychedelic explorers. He posited a theory that Jesus wasn't a person, but Jesus was a mushroom. Not that, huh. he, not that he was a mushroom walking around like a cartoon, but that <laughs> but that people took the mushroom and came to the realization oh. of the things that are attributed to the human being. From I see what you mean. Like the actual Jesus mushroom is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was a weird way to say that. Maybe we'll call this episode Jesus is a mushroom. <laughs> oh, just as good. Uh, you have, have a lot of viable candidates from today. Yeah, I'm... And we're gonna try. We're gonna try the kaleidoscope art. You guys are gonna see some weird cover art for a while. I need to go down that avenue. Hey, by the way, um, I don't know if this is true with all of the other Discord people, but I think the reason why I didn't delve deeper into it is because when you had sent me the invite, it didn't allow me to 
like it was it was a, a read only channel and I couldn't contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. Every people have to sign on first, and then I have to give them permissions. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, basically, you're entering in as a as a as the public would, which um, while the public can read anything, I'm not opening posting to the public because that's just asking for chaos. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, so if you're a former guest of Creative Minds and you happen to be listening to the show, now you know. Hmm. All right, we're going to get out of here, guys. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, I don't know. Who knows what we're going to... I got. <laughs> I have some cards left over from a while ago. Maybe we can deal with those. More oh, man, I have, I have entire subjects. Like, there are some episodes that we've done where... Actually, one episode in particular where I went into it with a bunch of things I wanted to talk about, and we ended up talking about none of it. There's always a list, isn't there? I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anything to talk about in this episode other than that rant. And then I wrote all that stuff on a post-it like 20 minutes before we started recording. I'm like, oh, we could talk about that. All right. Well, do we want to? Did we want to mention all of our stuff, like the the social media stuff and the Patreon as well? Oh yeah, that's probably a good idea. Good thing you're here. You know, <laughs> little things, little things, little things. Lamb, tell them where they can find you. Um, you can find me everywhere at The Vacant Room. Um, so The Vacant Room is one word, and that's thevacantroom.com. I'm that on Twitter. I'm also that on uh, Instagram as well. And hopefully he'll be on Discord soon. Yes. And you can find me on Facebook at Holy Fool Productions. You can find me on Instagram as Holy Fool Productions. And you can find me on Twitter as Holy Holy Fool. Are there any other places? Oh, you can go to the Patreon, of course, um, patreon.com forward slash Holy Fool Productions and uh, become a patron. Support all the stuff we do. That would be amazing. Good way to get onto what we're building um, on Discord, hopefully. But if not, you're going to have some access to some content. I put up episodes early there and then uh, hopefully Lamb and I will do some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. So that stuff will be up on there. I'm just finding little pieces of stuff to put on there that'll be interesting. Thanks for listening, guys. If you like this show, tell somebody about it because we want to have more ears and you can always rate and review us because I think we only have one review right now. So that would be very helpful. Um, Last words for you, Lamb. Before believing everything you read, find out who wrote it and why. You know what I want right there is the the Law and Order gavel. I mean the dum dum, <laughs> and I hear the theme music kick in. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.